This is Ingredient Insiders, and I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking with famous chefs and authors about their favorite ingredients. We'll then be speaking to the producers of those ingredients to talk about the history, how they're made, and why chefs love using them in their restaurants. Andrea, you know what we're talking about on this episode? I'm so excited for this episode, John. Spanish hams. I love Spanish hams. All the hams. Jamón. Mm, serrano. Sounds, does it sound better in Spanish? Yeah, Jamón. One of the greatest delicacies in all of the world. We're going to talk about the two different types that we see, which you just mentioned one, which mm-hmm. was serrano. Yeah. And then the second one is jamón ibérico. And I guess if you translate jamón ibérico, it just means Spanish ham. Mm-hmm. And but so, not all, they're not all created equal, as we've learned. No, I mean, oh, it's night and day. Right. So the jamón ibérico is like the creme de la creme de la creme well, the, of Spanish ham. The jamón ibérico de bolota. Yeah. so that, That's the one that's... Yeah, the fancy, the, fancy. Yes. We're talking like in Spain, I saw this stuff like a hundred and something euros a kilo. Mm-hmm. We're talking in the same league as truffles and caviar. Yeah. In, in, in that world. The Spanish are very serious about their hams. Yeah. You know, these are not uh, boiled hams. This isn't like, you, you know, the, your boar's head, delicious, you know, sliced ham. These are more akin to a, an Italian prosciutto. They are raw, but then salt cured and aged for years, basically, mm-hmm. um, until they are completely cured. And then they are usually hand sliced. They could be machine sliced, but usually hand sliced. Mm-hmm. They're used to either eat straight up. You could make a sandwich with them. Not going to hold that against anybody. But typically you eat them on their own. Yeah. You could wrap a fish in it. I'm not going to say anything wrong with that. But do you love these hams? Like I love these hams? I love these. I mean, we all know my favorite food is prosciutto. So I think, you know, Serrano ham, a distant, you know, not a not so distant cousin. I also love and adore and then if you're talking about the Hamon Iberico, I mean, it's just a different experience. You're talking about a nutty, luscious, it has the crystallization that occurs, you know, from the aging process. The fat is delicious. It's melt in your mouth like butter. Like butter. Yeah. It is so good. I am obsessed with these hams. So we had the opportunity. We're going to talk to Michelle Bernstein, who is a legend down in Miami. Is a true pioneer of... Florida cooking about how she's using Serrano ham. It seems to kind of be a staple uh, in her household, in her restaurants. Jamon is very important to me. Jamon Serrano has become number one in my life to the very beloved prosciutto. She's a legend. She She really is. You know, when we talk about Miami and Florida being really one of the global hotspots for cuisine, it is thanks in large part to someone like Michelle. Mm Mm-hmm who has been here for decades, really working this market before any of these other chefs coming from other cities moved in here. I think also as like a female chef, um, a lot of the OG Miami chefs are men. So for her to be able to kind of come in, create a name for herself, she's, you know, she has three restaurants. She has a catering company. I just went to her Cafe La Trova. You had the best time. Which is like this retro Cuban speakeasy cocktails in the live back, music. live music in the front, mm-hmm. incredible Cuban food. 
And then, you know, she's really famous. She had a restaurant in Miami called Mishi's for a long time. You know, she's got a lot going on. So we're going to talk to her. That's going to be really exciting. Yeah. And then we're talking to Maria Castro. Yeah. Maria Castro. She's awesome. She's with Five J's, Cinco Hotas. Yep. She's going to be joining us from Spain. Why is it that the Spanish love their ham? It's part of our culture. I mean, we have been curing the, the hams in this way since Romans' time. Um, and, and it's something that, that we continue doing. So this is going to be a great episode, Andrea, just I talking about wait. one of your favorite ingredients. The prosciutto queen is the jamón queen today. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. We're starting off our first Florida tour here in Miami, and we couldn't have a more revered chef in the room. Absolutely. I've always thought of you as kind of what like Nancy Silverton and Alice Waters did for California. You did it for Miami. I agree. First of all, thank you for even just thinking of me. (laughs) So that's right off the bat. But I don't I don't think of me or my cooking that way. I mean, I'd like to, but there were so many people that came before me that molded me. I happen to be born here, lucky enough, born and raised. That's what we call ourselves when we're from Miami. So, you know, I had no choice, really. I was born from what we called the forefathers of Floribian cuisines. And all of them truly had a little piece in in molding my my career and definitely the way that I cooked, but mainly there was a gentleman, a chef, his name um, is Mark Militello. And he, I worked for him for years and then I dipped into all the other ones where I got, you know, a lot of my flavor. And then of course, you know, when you build, I guess, confidence in yourself, you find your own flavor, mm-hmm. um, but not until then. Because I truly feel like if you don't have confidence, you shouldn't have your own flavors yet. When we talk about Florida cuisine, and you mentioned Mark Militello. I think of chefs yourself. I think of, again, growing up in New York, the names that we heard, and if we were lucky enough to travel down and eat, Norman Van Aken. Yeah, of course. Alan Saucer. Uh, Douglas Rodriguez. Douglas, Incredible. Yeah. I mean, not enough people to me talk about Dougie, and Doug really brought the Cuban cuisine to another level, something that we had all thought was just very, you know, simple peasant, but delicious food. He really brought, I think, to the eyes of the New Yorkers when he opened Patria. And also with Yuka here, he he really brought it to another level. And some people thought it was a little snobby and not the right cuisine to bring up to a, a more luxurious plate and plating. But I thought it was genius. And I still think he's one of the best. Um, Alan's incredible. Norman, of course. Robin Haas, who we recently lost, who was also just amazing. And all these guys were so brilliant on their own. They were just such smart, tough guys, you know, from that 80s kind of style and culture, you know, and um, they brought the food into the 90s and they evolved, a lot of them. And it's a hard thing for a chef to evolve as you get older. Is there such a thing as Florida cuisine? I don't think there is anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was. I think that they made that happen back then. But I think now that we have so many chefs and cultures, uh, chefs from all over the world here and and food from so many different cultures that I don't know if you can really call it Florida cuisine anymore. You know, it's not the mango gang anymore. Um, Things, you know, we've grown up in Miami, maybe a little too quickly, especially those last two years. I mean, what is going on in this market today is 
I know you've been here a long time. You've seen the ups and downs and I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. So am I when I see the, the amount of growth. I'm excited to talk about this ingredient. Um, my Instagram handle is the prosciutto queen. I love cured ham. I love that. So, <laughs> you know, when we realized, you know, we were going to talk about Serrano ham, I was excited. Do you use it a lot? Like, is it, was it part of your, you know, it, it was not something I, oh my God, it was something I grew up with. <gasps> Now that I think about it, and you just brought a huge memory back. So my dad has done a lot of things in his life as far as career, and he dabbled in a lot of weird stuff. But for some reason, he worked with this Spanish, he was kind of a dictator of sorts, I don't know. He would call him el gallego, which is not a, a nice word to call someone, but actually the guy loved it. El gallego, the dictator, whoever this guy was, the daddy would work with, would bring us a whole leg of jamón serrano every time he would come to Miami. So yes, it was a huge part of growing up, and I totally forgot that. Now that you say it, I remember. How often did he come to Miami? Like I'm wondering often, how many because legs. Because there were legs around. There was a leg around at least once a year. I mean, how bad a dictator can somebody be if they're yeah. bringing you a leg of? <laughs> Maybe he wasn't a dictator. Maybe he wore some type of a military. <laughs> I don't know the things you remember when. I mean, I was little, little. But yeah, there was always Hamon Serrano around. Nice for a good Jewish girl. My father yeah. grew up kosher. I guess from earliest memory, definitely. And and then I became a bit of an Italian fanatic. So I went into prosciutto. And then I got really lucky. I got invited to the north of Spain by a gentleman named Terry Zurgian, who helps put on the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. He's an amazing guy. He invited me, Cindy Hudson, an amazing chef from here, Robin Haas, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't remember who else. I'm sure that there were, must have been other people to come because olive oils from Spain, but also Jamón Serrano, Jabugo region, invited us to come to see the pigs, the Pata Negras, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, the black hoofed pigs that I think are maybe 1% of the region. Very rare. 100% mm -hmm. pure pigs from that region. Super rare. Eating um, acorns. Eating acorns and chestnuts. And chestnuts. Of yeah. which I wanted to steal from them. Yeah. They were dabbling on nibbling on each other's tails because they tasted so good. Yes. Interesting. I know. And then, of course, they brought us into this presentation room and the platters started coming in. And I had never had pata negra or jabugo, ham from jabugo in my life. And I cornered the waiter. <laughs> and I think I must have eaten every, eaten every piece of Havugo from the guy's tray because he was terrified of me afterwards. And they kept coming in. And I, I mean, I, I don't even know how I got through the trip without dehydrating myself with the amount of jamón that I ate. But yes, jamón is very important to me. Jamón Serrano has become number one in my life to the very beloved prosciutto, only because of its intensity and its brininess and its, you know, intense color and flavor. And it's different. It makes a mark. It is very different than prosciutto. It's definitely not like I would consider prosciutto maybe more sweet, more buttery. Yes. As well. Yeah. What is the big differences between jamón serrano well, I will, and prosciutto? I will tell you that serrano is, is cured longer, you know, depending on the jamón that you buy, quality changes, which it does with every type of ham and every type of meat, obviously, as well. So the curing process is different. The bleeding process is different. It has an intensity and you can do a lot to it and it still stands out or you can do nothing to it and it stands out. Whereas in prosciutto, I feel like if you put two ingredients on top of prosciutto, you can't taste the beauty in the prosciutto, whereas right. jamón kind of 
it, it's a little more fuerte. It has a strength, right? It has muscle, so it'll hold up to a lot of things. One of my favorite sandwiches that I made once was a sea urchin sandwich pressed with jamón serrano inside of it, and I brushed it with the fat from the melting jamón's outside. That sounds um, terrible. It was disgusting. Yeah, it was <laughs> absolutely disgusting. I always think that the Spanish hams are a little bit darker in color. The texture... Like a deeper red? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Deeper red and the texture more, I don't want to say meaty, but mm-hmm. more, not quite as soft as, and maybe that's the extended aging. Um, Most but, definitely it's the longer yeah. cure, it's the saltier, yeah. brinier, and then a little bit more texture yeah. to it, which some people don't like. You know, and and I get that. But if you're toasting bread and you're putting, uh, um, rubbing it with a tomato, pan con tomate, you know, from the north region of Spain, and then you're putting a piece of prosciutto on or you put a piece of jamón serrano on, jamón will always win in that. It'll stand up more. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just, it just, it's meant to be. It's like a marriage meant to be mm-hmm. that will last forever. We should do that, John. I'm, I'm down. One of each. Let's do it. Okay. It'll, it, it, it'll be a really nice test because nothing tastes bad. <laughs> the jamón just, it holds up and stands up to a lot. You know, it really does. You can wrap fish with it, which you can do with prosciutto, but it's a shame. With jamón, it's just like you wrap a trout in prosciutto, you stuff it with a little Swiss chard, and you have like this just beautiful melody. Yeah, even as you're saying, like you say the word jamón and you say it with like... Fuerza. Yes, there's like an intensity <laughs> behind it. And I think like when you say it's like prosciutto, it's like more like elegant and like romantic. How about this? How about this? Prosciutto is the ballet or jamón serrano is the salsa. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. I love that. Okay. What else do you do with serrano ham? Oh, goodness. Um, let's see. So I love it with a little bit of fig jam. Um roll it up in pretty much anything. These days I'm staying away from every type of flour, so it's really hard for me um, not to put it in a sandwich. But honestly, you can kind of like uh, shave it paper thin and put it on an oyster, and it's just gorgeous together. Um, It's beautiful um, in soups and stews. I also love just putting a piece in when I'm sautéing some prawns or shrimp. Very Jewish of you. I know. I I just, you know, honestly, as I speak. I can say that because I'm also a. Well, I'm a Cohen. I'm a a Bernstein Cohen. I mean, my my father is Bernstein. My mother was a Cohen. Yep. I'm like, I should wear a cape. Mm -hmm. And I am such a lover of everything. I know. I feel you on that. Shellfish and ham. Um, It's a terrible thing. But so is my mother and father. You know, they, Mm -hmm. they loved it as well. Yes. I, so I call myself a pizza bagel because I'm a, a Italian Jew. I'm a Jutinian. There you go. Yeah. When home consumers are buying ham and we're talking jamón serrano, um, first of all, it's it's tough because you want to make sure that it's freshly cut. So you're looking for a deep, dark red color. You're looking for something that is a little on the more fatty side. If it's too clean looking, I stay away from it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, when they trim off all the fat yeah, yeah no, you, you want to leave that fat that? i have no idea and then if it looks like it's a little faded it was cut way too long ago and they didn't take all the air out of it kind of oxidized they yeah. yeah yeah you never want anything that looks oxidized and that would be anything and any meat group yeah <laughs> whatsoever but especially hamon because it has that beautiful dark red because they don't bleed the pigs like they do um well bleed the ham like they do in prosciutto and so you need that beautiful dark redness I just learned something. Me too. I did not know that. I love redondo ham. Um, 
I really do. I'm a bit of a slut, though, because, you know, if someone brings me another type of ham, I will eat it and I will use it. I just love different products. And the one thing I do love about working with Chef's Warehouse, to be perfectly frank, is that it's unlimited. My salesperson, Andrea, if I can talk about her for just a second. Absolutely. Like, I'm a huge her. fan yeah. of hers. She's awesome. She's an amazing pastry chef and now she's an amazing salesperson. But all she has to do is bring me product and I can turn that into a whole new menu. And if it wasn't for the product, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, you know, I can't just, you know, look at a blank screen and write a menu or, you know, recipes. I, I need to be inspired. And a lot of the things that you guys carry is, is truly inspiring to me. Red on the that, ham is just one of them. That's amazing. We, we appreciate that. That was something I was thinking about earlier, too, is, you know, we again, Andrea and I live in New York. It's kind of a, a black hole as far as the number of products that are coming in there, as far as the what's available to chefs. Was it hard to find great products in Miami? That's a great question. Um, it was for a really long time. Yeah. You know, you would find all of a sudden you'd find like crazy stuff, right? I'd walk into like literally stumble upon a Japanese market making fresh noodles and dumplings. And then a month later they were closed. And then I'd stumble upon, you know, a beautiful gourmet shop selling the most wondrous cheeses and, and charcuterie. And then that would be gone. We had great gourmet shops. I miss terribly the Epicure's you know, of Miami Beach um, and the Jewish delis. But that's another that's another conversation. We have very few left, which is amazing because we have so many discerning palettes and so many people expect so much. But there's just not a lot of places, especially retail places to find as regular people. Now, I'm a chef, so can I find it? I call you guys, you know, and I call actually very few companies here. I rely on you guys. If you guys are out of something, I'm in a lot of trouble and I have to take it off my menu because I'm not going to go calling you know, anyone else, because I know I'm not going to find it. For some reason, we just are a little weak in the retail segment and sector of, of food. We have Latin markets, yeah. yes, but for example, it's hard to call them Latin markets. They don't have every type of Latin food. So there's this little tiny market near where my mother used to live, and they have every cut of Argentine meat there. And they have a lot of different amazing products. But if you wanted something Peruvian, like a amarillo or a lot of stuff that you guys, by the way, I, I buy a lot of Peruvian stuff from you all too. I worked in Peru a long time. You're not going to find it there. You have to go to a little Peruvian place, maybe a little market off of a Peruvian restaurant, you know, on the side or the alley. You just have to search out and it's exhausting. Because like for, for me, I go to like five markets in a week just for my health. Where's Michelle Bernstein going to have dinner in Miami. Nothing fancy, but where do you like to, where do you love to eat? So I have a young child <laughs> and I have a, a husband who owns three bars. So we're eating at home, um, mainly, to be honest with you. Um, once in a while, I have to have my fix of Argentine food. Um, but to be honest with you, there's a lot of home cooking going on. No yeah. problem. I do the same. I'm Chef Michelle Bernstein from Miami. We've got Cafe La Trova, La Cañita, and Sweet Liberty, and I'm here with the Ingredient Insiders. But you didn't always want to be a chef. I was reading your bio. You 
Went to New York City to study ballet, mm -hmm. had an injury, mm -hmm. and then you came back, went to Johnson & Wales, my alma mater. Really? Yes. Oh my God, that's great. What kind of made you want to get into food? I didn't go into food wanting to become a chef. I went into food because I, after, the, the, to be honest with you, the injury was yes to my leg, but also to my soul, I guess you could say, after being in New York, dancing a little with Alvin Ailey, um, trying to be uh, a ballerina, yet not having really the shape for it, because I was just too short, to be perfectly honest. So I came back home, I studied nutrition and biochem, which is my true love, it's food chemistry. Once I got my degree, and I'd moved around to get that, my mom looked at me one day and she said, okay, you know, I'm a nice Jewish Latin girl. And she said, okay, so what next? And I said, well, I'm supposed to go to a hospital and trained to be a dietitian, And she looks at me and she starts laughing and she said, you're gonna faint. Because I always fainted when I got near hospitals. And I'm like, I know mom, I don't know what I'm gonna do. She said, well, I have this crazy idea. There's this cooking school called Johnson and Wales and they're opening a couple miles away from the house. And you know, maybe if you went there, you wouldn't have to do the whole dietetic approach. Maybe you can write about healthy food and learn about healthy food, like from the inside out, truly by cooking it and learning it. and and touching it. And maybe you can do another approach and maybe one day you'll write a book or be on TV and talk about healthy food. And so I walked into Johnson and Wales and I got these goosebumps and, and I had butterflies and I hadn't had that feeling since I was a dancer and something felt right. Didn't know what it was going to be yet, but something felt really good about it. It was Beshert. That's yes, Beshert. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're all Meant used. to be. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Did you have grandmothers that cooked? Did you, was there food in your It's so veins? funny. When I first got a show on Food Network, they said, okay, talk about your grandmas and the food they would make. And I would say, well, my grandmothers never cooked. They were older and just not well enough to cook. It was always my mother. Well, why? I'd say, well, you didn't hire me to be an actress. You hired <laughs> me to cook here. So no, I'm not, I can't, you know, I can't lie. I, um, no, my grandmothers did not cook. And if they did, I missed out on that part. Um, my mother's was Argentine and her family, the people from the house didn't cook. She wasn't fancy. They weren't rich, rich people, but sure. honestly, even the, what they called the middle class back then and even middle lower didn't cook. You had to cook to, for the family and the cook had her own cook as well, by the way, for her house. And that's just how it was growing up in South America. Mom taught herself how to cook Jewish American mixed with Argentine food. So what I think of matzo balls is totally different. Well, most people think of it or stuffed cabbage or anything really. Right. I want to um, know what you, instead of yeah. dill, there's cilantro. I was going to say like, oh, the, no, there's you no start cilantro. with this one. Okay, no cilantro. <laughs> Never. <laughs> and nothing spicy, but there was just so much flavor. It's like she put her whole body and soul and history into everything she made. And that's what I learned from her. More than the recipes, because she wasn't great at writing down recipes, to be honest with you. She was terrible at it. How she came up with it and how it became so delicious. I tried to, sadly, she's not here anymore, and I try to really kind of, you know, get her to, to, to speak to me while I'm cooking. And sometimes it just doesn't really work very well. Trying to channel those flavors and emotions. Yeah. I do, and, and you know, a lot of people tell me that it does taste like her, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking for her hand a lot of times, and I'm not finding it. I love that. This has been such a treat. We're honored that you were even considering joining us today. Thank you. Um, one of the OGs of Florida cuisine. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Yeah, really great. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by Senko Jotas, makers of the finest ham in all the land and a partner of the Chef's Warehouse. On the line, joining us live from Sevilla, Spain, is Maria Castro from Senko Jotas, which is the amazing producer of Iberico Ham in Spain. She's their director of communications. She's also a biologist. Yes. Which makes her super qualified for this discussion on Hamon Iberico. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I... I was very lucky. Jennifer Sussman from the Chef's Warehouse and I. Mm-hmm. Jen is our charcuterie buyer extraordinaire. And she and I took a trip to Spain about three years ago. And Maria literally took us to this area where the pigs are raised and growing. And whenever you visit a farm where, you know, it's a, a pig farm for, you know, lack sure. of a better term. Is get a little like leery about what it's going to look like and smell like sure. and see. It was the most beautiful, green, lush hillside with these old, huge. I think they were acorn trees, Maria. Yeah, that's right, acorn trees. <laughs> uh, it, it looked. It was paradise, and wow. these pigs were beautiful. If ever there was a beautiful pig, it was these black pigs. So, Maria, tell us. I mean, Americans are just starting to learn about. Spanish hams. You know, these are the Rolls Royce of hams, the, the highest level quality aged hams <laughs> in the world. How, first of all, how long have the Spanish hams been in the United States? Well, they have been already for 11 years because we arrived in 2011. So 11 years in the U.S. It's a very recent product, just got approved in the last decade or so. Why is this pork why is this ham so good? Well, as you said, they, they are raised in, a, in, in, in paradise. I mean, they are in a, in a natural park, in a beautiful spot. Everything is completely natural, so, so they are free range. And when people think that, you know, the animal is free range, they always think about a farm, like the ones that you normally have in the United States. But they are not really in farms. I mean, they are in open spaces. They are in, in, a, in a beautiful uh, forest tree that the, the full of oak trees that they produce acorns, which is the most important ingredient that they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna eat during the, the, the autumn. And that's why the, the animal is gonna you know it's gonna have a incredible meat and also the fat is gonna come from this natural ingredient that is also very rich in oleic acid. So that acorn is a big part of the story because I think and you correct me if I'm wrong because I don't speak Spanish, but Jamon Iberico de Bellota Bayota means acorn. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the thing is that in Spain, we have a very strict regulation uh, by law. I mean, there's a law about, you know, the Iberico ham production. If you're going to produce uh, Iberico ham to, in the in the domination of the, of, the, of the name of the ham, it has to be the, the breed, 100% uh, Iberico. And also if it's fed by, by acorns in, the, in a natural space and free range. And that's why Cinco Jotas is Jamón de Bellota, 100% Iberico, 
100% liver content. So what does the acorn do for the flavor profile of the ham versus just a regular serrano ham? Well, the thing is that the serrano ham is made more like, like the ham that, you, that you, you can produce anywhere in the world. It's a cured ham, but it comes from, from a different breed that is not Iberico, that is the normal uh, European breed that you can find anywhere. And the animals are raised in, in indoors. I mean, they're not, they're not even in open spaces or outside in the, in the forest. So the, the ham that you're going to produce with the serrano ham, the flavor is going to come from whatever the animal is eating, okay? Because the, the, the pigs are like us. I mean, they are what they eat. So as these are, the Iberico pigs are, are raised in the forest, and they are going to eat as much acorn as they can because this is the way that they are going to survive the, the, the you know, the summer and the, the moments when nature doesn't give them, provide them as much food as they, as they want. They, they're going to, they're going to get all the fat and the sugar and, and all the content from the, from the acorns that is going to come into their, their meat. All the fat that they're going to preserve in their, in their bodies is going to come from the acorn. And all this fat is going to be mostly unsaturated fat. And the, the flavor is going to give to the, to the ham is going to be very, very nutty. I mean, very, it's more like hazelnut or almonds. Or it's, it's, a, it's not like that, actually, because it's acorns. But it's the most similar flavor that you can, that I can tell, you know, the hazelnut, because not everybody has tried acorns <laughs> by itself. <laughs> yeah, no, it is very nutty. It has a unique flavor that... It, it, it is almost a little hard to describe because it's this, it's this richness and the, this unctuousness that you're getting from the fat um, that you don't typically get. How long is the hams aged for? Because I, I noticed the meat is also a much darker, richer color than other types of uh, cured meats. Does that have anything yeah, to do with comes- the aging? Uh, it's, 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 it has more to do. I mean, it has both. It's, it's from the aging, but also because the animal is free range. As okay. the animal are all, all the time walking, because they walk around 14 kilometers per day looking for the food. So because they are, they are very picky. I mean, they don't like to eat whatever they found. I mean, they're going to look for the best acorn, the sweetest one and the biggest one. So And, uh, and also the grass that they're going to eat, they're also going to choose exactly what, which kind of grass that they're going to eat. So they're always walking and looking for the best food. And that means that they are very athletic. And as they are very athletic, they are very rich in myoglobin in their muscles. I mean, this myoglobin is full, is rich, it has iron, mm-hmm. and that's why the meat is very red. That's why people think that a very cooked pork is red meat and not white meat as the rest of the porks, okay? But the, the thing is that this uh, meat is very red. And also when we cure it, as we do a very uh, slow process in the, in the aging, because they are, they are, they are curing natural cellars, the, the process is going to be very, very slow. And that's going to maintain the, the, the color of the meat and the, the natural uh, look of the, of the meat for all the time. It's going to preserve the color and also the, the flavor. How long are you curing the legs? It depends on the, of the big, of the size of the, of the hams. As the animals are free range from around two years, some pigs are all the time eating and they grow faster and they get bigger. And some of and others are all the time playing and, and they don't eat much and they are very, they are smaller. <laughs> so we, we can have hams from six and a half kilos, but it goes until like more than nine kilos. So the normal size that is seven kilos ham is around 36 months. Okay. Wow. But that's the minimum and it can go longer and longer. I mean, it, we take like two years to raise the pig and then another three years minimum for, for the aging. So it can, it, it's always minimum five years to do the ham, but it can take seven years or even eight. 
essentially, you know, what you're eating, it took five years to produce that product. I mean, that's incredible. Yes, it is. I mean, imagine when you have any, any, you know, like the pandemic or things like that, because you, you always think what you're going to produce in five years in advance. So yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> now tell us a little bit about Cinco Hotas as a company. I know, I believe it means five stars. Yes, well, it comes, well, it comes from there. The, the name it comes from the five stars five, of the hotels, yeah. The five because stars, Because it's, okay. it's, it's the biggest quality, the highest quality, and that's why it was referred as, as five stars and five J, J from, from Habugo. That is where, where we produce the ham. It's a small hamlet in, in, the, in the southwest of Spain. So the brand is Senko Hotas, which means five J's, which is a five-star ham. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we, we instead of stars, we use the J because we are from Habuba and we're very, you know, proud to be from this small town. Andrea and I always talk about this: how the Spaniards are so crazy about their ham mm-hmm. that if you go to Madrid, they have a beautiful store called the Museum of Jamón. Right? They the they it's a it's a item that's given as a gift in the holidays. Um, it's not inexpensive i mean a really no 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 um it's it's almost like the white truffle of pork products but uh why is it that the spanish love their ham it's part of our culture i mean we have been curing the the hams in this way since romans time um, and and it's something that that we continue doing it and actually in the in Habuga where we are nearly all the families they have their own pigs and they they do the their own slaughtery in their houses and they produce their own meats and, and hams and everything. And, and the thing is that if you, when you want to celebrate something, you, it's, it's, it's like a must. I mean, you cannot do a wedding or, or, or a Christmas party or anything without, without ham. There's season for making hamon? Is yes, it? always. I mean, as, as the ham has been always produced in a very natural way, you need to do it in, only in a, in a moment of the year that they climb the climate conditions allowed you to, to do it. The period when you're going to find more food and when the acorns are available, mature on the floor, is in the autumn season. Okay, so the acorn season starts in October, around October, depending on the, you know, when it has rain and the climate condition, the temperatures, and it's going to finish around March. And they're going to finish with 165, 75 kilos, even 85 kilos, 185 kilos. That means that they're going to double their size only in, in, in three months. Wow, so, so that, that's like you, a four hundred or five hundred pound pig. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean they're very they get very very big because they are they're eating as much as they can because uh, spring is going to be fine, but in summer they're not going to find much food, so they're going to need all this uh, fat that they have including their body so they can survive. Okay, that's why this breed is indigenous from the from the, the Iberian Peninsula, and they are completely adapted to survive in our ecosystem with our climate conditions. So all this lottery must be done after that period. So you make sure that you're going to get as much meat as you can, okay? And also it's when it's going to be with the, the, the highest quality because all the fat is going to be infiltrated inside. It's going to come from the acorn. That, that means that when you, put the, 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 when you taste the ham, it's going to melt. I mean, uh, you, you remember when you tried it in Spain, I mean, it goes liquid, completely liquid. It's more oily than, than fatty. It really does melt in your mouth. I mean, the product, it's just, it's, to me, it's, there's nothing like it. It's, it's really spectacular. It's as good as it gets when (laughs) it comes to ham. It's not only the leg that you're curing, you're also curing the loin, you're making salume. Yeah. And and the loins, you have them in the U.S. The lomo is the loin. And what's the paleta that we hear about? Mm -hmm. 
It's the front leg. I mean, in Spain, we, we have a different name from, from the, the back leg to the front leg. But in many countries and many languages, they, they just don't. They, they say the same name. So if a chef is buying a full leg of jamón, how many pounds or how many kilos is that piece? Bone in or bone out? Well, if it's bone in, it's going to be around seven kilos normally. Okay. That's the normal size. And if it's boneless, it's going to be like 2.8 kilos for the ham. The paleta is always oh, much smaller. The back leg. Yes, the okay. back leg is the one that normally, when you're going to carve the ham, you always buy the, normally in a restaurant, you always buy the back leg because it's easier to carve it. I mean, it's much easier because you have less bones, okay? So it's much easier to carve it. So the boneless jamón is only about six pounds? Depends on the size where it comes from. That's yeah. why we always sell the ham uh, by weight. So that's, that's really not too big a size for a restaurant to you know feel comfortable about buying. So one of the things that is also amazing in Spain is the quality of the the gentlemen or the women who slice the ham. And there's a name for that yeah, there person. Is a name, right? You are trained by you know to be a master carver. When we need people to develop the, the work, because we have 60 master carvers carving in Habugo, and actually the ham that you, you get already carved in, in the U.S., it all comes from Habugo. We just got this at the Chef's Warehouse. We're such a, we love being a partner of yours. We have this new product, which is this rosette of sliced ham in a... Fanned out. Yes, it's beautiful. Ready, plate ready. Um, no labor for the chef, so you don't need to be a master carver and you're going to still get that same quality. So for our chef customers, they know that they, they can come to Chef's Warehouse and purchase the legs. They can purchase pre-sliced uh, package. But to the home consumer, where can they find your products? In the United States, I think that they can buy it in, in, in the e-commerce. I mean, it's the most easiest... To buy it on your website? Yeah, for the for the consumers in the website, and also I think that there are other e-commerce that they also sell the the thing called as ham. Okay. Yeah, this is not the kind of ham where you're going to walk into a grocery store and find it. It's just it wasn't too sure precious. It was available at Whole Foods. Yeah, or... it's even it's a level above that. You may be able to find the Spanish Iberico hams at the most luxurious cheese and charcuterie shops, like maybe. You know, if you're in California, if you're in Southern California, you might find it at the Beverly Hills Cheese Shop. You might find it at some really beautiful boutique type stores in New York, maybe like a Citarella or possibly Italy. The Spanish market, uh, Despana. And then, of course, Chef's Warehouse, chefswarehouse.com. We've been proud to be working with Sancojotas for a number of years now. And I just see the business continue to grow as they become more and more known in the U.S. So, Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Andrea and I both wish we were in Sevilla, Spain with you right now. And uh, I know uh, we're also thinking about eating some jamón as soon as we can. Thank you very much for, for inviting us. And, and we, we love to, to work with the Chef Warehouse. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. Follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. You can find the products discussed in today's episode on chefswarehouse.com.